Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, also publishes or is in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And we do have an introductory price, so you can try these uh, newsletters to see if they are right for you. You can call Claudio Bossi. That's my assistant in New York, uh, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. Or you can go to our website at miningstocks.com, or you can go to jtaylormedia.com, that's J-A-Y-T-A-Y-L-O-R, media.com, to access this radio show, as well as all through new, three newsletters that I just mentioned, as well as a lot of other things that I do um, on the video and television appearances and so and so forth. Well, uh, we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today, our sponsors are American Manganese, Airway Energy, Clifton Star Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Goldrich Mining Company, and Prodigy Gold. We also want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. This week I'm talking to you from the Marriott Marquis Hotel at Times Square in Manhattan, and I'm attending the uh, New York Hard Asset Conference. Uh, it's an annual event that I've been coming to for many, many years here. This year, however, there are fewer companies and I think uh, fewer attendees as well, which I believe is a testimony really to the very difficult markets uh, for commodities and for precious metals that we're seeing right now. When I finish uh, this show, I will be heading down. Uh, when I finish this this radio show, I'll be heading downstairs to participate in a bull and bear panel discussion with several folks that we've had as guests on this particular radio show, including people like Ian McAvity, Paul Van Eden, and Adrian Day, and uh, also Rick Rule, who will be heading our discussion. And so I'm very much looking forward to that, and perhaps pass along some of the some of the views of the other panel members uh, ne- in next week's show. 
earlier in the day, I heard a speech from Eric Sprott. He's one of Canada's largest investors. Eric talked about, uh, really talked at length about the problems of our banking system and, uh, and how ill-prepared the banks are to handle bad loans and the losses that they have. Very many bad loans that are on the books that are not being recognized, that are not being marked to market, but are really being, um, really fantasized uh, values that are on the books of the banks. And uh, he pointed out the, these banks just don't have the capital to handle the losses. He talked about the Minsky, Minsky moment um, that companies face or countries face. They reach at levels, uh, when they reach certain levels of debt that can no longer be repaid. And indeed, this is an insight I think that Ian Gordon has brought to us, uh, the Kondratiev cycle, uh, that governments push their debt levels up to the level where they can no longer be repaid, and there's nothing you can really do about it at that point in time. Uh, central banks can try to create more money, but they can't, can't create wealth. Uh, they simply reallocate resources, reallocate wealth perhaps from one group of people to the next. But in fact, when they do that, uh, they are creating more debt. And since debt is the raw material from which money is created in a fiat currency system, every time Mr. Bernanke rolls out another, another QE, he is really rolling out an equal amount of debt and indebting future generations uh, and essentially choking off the lifeblood and the oxygen of the uh, of the American economy. Well, I believe that we are very near a global Minsky moment. I think we're on the verge of that, sorry to say. Debt is so large that it can never be repaid in many different areas of the world. It is certainly true in the United States, although as having the world's reserve currency and the military second to none, we are able to prolong this party longer than other countries, smaller countries like Greece, for example, uh, and Portugal. And uh, Eric Sprott was talking about both those countries. He believes both of them uh, have passed through that Minsky moment and believes that Portugal is very close to that as well. And now he's watching very closely Spain. Uh, he believes that Spain will be the next one to go. We're seeing the Spain, uh, Spain's interest rates start to balloon out over the, uh, the German interest rates. And this is what generally tends to happen as these countries start to, uh, start to get hit very, very hard. Uh, Portugal, for example, I believe is something like 12% over, uh, now over the, um, the German rates. Uh, Spain is, uh, just a few percentage points or, um, but it's considerably higher but getting worse. And the markets are really saying that Spain cannot repay its debt or they're becoming ever more worried that Spain cannot pay its debts. And, of course, Spain is a much larger economy than either Greece or Portugal. So uh, this is really something that, that uh, Eric Sprott said he's keeping his eyes on. Certainly it's something that's commented on. Uh, by the likes of Thomas Keene and others at Bloomberg on a regular basis. Uh, Mr. Sprout also talked about the Chinese and why they are not and cannot continue to buy U.S. Treasuries. And he says it's very simple. The U.S. Treasury rates are being kept so low, they're being manipulated at such extraordinarily low levels, much lower than the Chinese inflation rate. So why would the Chinese go out and buy U.S. dollar, uh, US dollar Treasuries uh, and, in fact, they are not, which is one of the reasons we've seen uh, increasing amounts of QE uh, where the U.S. government goes out and buys, or let's say the Federal Reserve goes out and buys U.S. Treasuries. And actually, on a, on a uh, slide that I show in my presentation, it shows that the U.S. has started to do that for some period of time. Actually, uh, long before the Lehman Brothers' decline, there was an increasing number of U.S. Treasuries that were being purchased by the Federal Reserve I believe because China had already and other creditor nations had already started stepping away from the U.S. dollar, realizing that the United States economy was getting itself into trouble. 
Uh, Eric Sprott also noted that the Chinese have been, have been buying huge amounts of gold. So he's, he's suggesting that they're buying gold instead of treasuries to an extent. Part of the money that used to go into treasuries are going into gold. And he's noting that they are currently buying something like 50 tons per month off of the market. Oh, and that's about a quarter of the world's production, uh, monthly gold production. Plus, China is now the world's largest gold producer, and they are keeping it all inside the Chinese borders. And uh, Mr. Sprout also noted that Russia is doing the same thing. Uh, with regards to the weakness in the gold markets, uh, Eric uh, Sprott suggests that the large amount of gold uh, has come onto the market, he suspects, from troubled banks in Europe. And that would make perfect sense because what normally seems to happen is when countries start to go belly up, they uh, they start to sell what they're able to sell to uh, to, uh, uh, to extend their life. And, in fact, that's what Russia did, if those of you maybe remember when the uh, Soviet Union went down. Uh, it probably bought another six months or so of life, a lifespan in that uh, failed regime uh, by selling its gold and being able to keep um, food on the table, so to speak, for the Russian people for a while longer. Um, my own view uh, is that if Eric is right, it is likely uh, a sign of an impending death, I think, for the Euro, uh, for the European Union as well as the uh, Euro. That is, if he's right about what's going on in Spain. If he's right that the Europeans are now facing their Minsky moment, uh, that certainly the policies that are being, uh, that are being employed by, by the Europeans uh, will not work. Um, I don't think that there's anything they're doing that the only thing that will work really is debt repudiation, paying off the debt so that then we can start again anew with uh, balance sheets that are healthy. And uh, of course, if we allowed that to happen, people would learn some very, very uh, tough lessons, but they'd learn uh, some lessons about reality and how you can't live beyond your means and have something for nothing indefinitely. You can do it for a while, and we have done it for a while, and now it seems as though... Um, uh, it's time to pay the piper. Um, this week, uh, I have two main guests. Um, at half past this hour, I will be talking to Mikey Weinstein of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, which is a civil rights organization that's been uh, nominated for Nobel Peace Prizes on a number of occasions. Uh, and Mr. Weinstein will be talking about uh, a topic that you don't hear or won't hear too much about on this show, but uh, we decided to talk about it this week. The Christian right or the fundamentalist Christians in this country are preaching anything but the kind of love that Jesus taught. Instead, there is a really strong hatred being spread by many fundamentalist Christians against Muslim groups, for example, and those that don't agree with them. And this is something I think that plays out well for those that like to make a lot of money with the military-industrial complex. It's something we always need to have an enemy to hate so we can keep the military going. And uh, Mikey Weinstein will talk about how this is sort of poisoning the religious freedom of people in the military. Um, you know, it's it's my way or the highway for some of these folks, I guess. And uh, and it's uh, something that I think is uh, I wanted this view to be uh, to be passed along to you this week. Um, then in our second hour, we'll be talking to Naomi Oreskes. Uh, she's a professor of history and science at the University of California, San Diego. Naomi believes that human beings are, in fact, responsible for global warming. Uh, her views may be counter to many of yours, uh, on the, many of you that listen to this show. Certainly, it's certainly uh, this is a view that I would rather not believe. My biases are that it is a, a natural causes that's leading to global warming, and I'd rather believe that because I am adamantly opposed to more government. I don't 
like to see more activist government uh, in our faces, for sure. Uh, but I think that it would be foolish to allow ideology to get in the way of understanding or at least seeking to know what the truth is. Uh, indeed, I believe that may be what happens more often than it should in many different ways. I think we're all tempted to uh, to try to believe what we want to believe. Um, as always, we also try on this show to um, to provide ideas that help you apply what you learn in this show uh, to make money and to protect your own wealth. Certainly today, again, uh, for the equity markets, it's been a really tough road uh, with the uh, with the problems that uh, J.P. Morgan Chase is uh, coming out with. Uh, certainly, a lot of nervousness, and rightfully so, in the markets. Uh, and um, interestingly enough, it is not seeming to do very much for gold. One might think that these kinds of difficult times should be very bullish for gold. Well, I think there's some some reasons for that. And actually, when I come back at the following. Uh, at the end of today's show with my own commentary, I'll be talking about some uh, ideas that I have as to why the gold shares have performed so poorly. I'm going to pass along some of Paul uh, Van Eden's ideas as well, which he also spoke here at this conference, and, of course, he was on our show last week. I think Paul has a number of things that are worth considering. I'm not say that I, I don't say that I agree with everything that Paul has to say, but there are certainly some things, I think, that make a lot of sense. And certainly, from my view, more of a deflationary view than an inflationary view, uh, I have less trouble uh, seeing a nominally low price of gold going forward than, than some other people do. On the other hand, I do see the real price of gold, as I remind you, almost every week going up very strongly, being very strong, and leading to gold mining share profits, which is why I do believe that we are still in the bull market of a lifetime for gold mining shares. I think that we are in a cyclical bear market right now for the shares, and that means that if you can retain some capital and some cash, uh, it won't be long now before you'll be able to buy shares at bargain basement prices. And, of course, we'll be talking about that on an ongoing basis on this show. Now, we will be talking. Uh, we have to go to a commercial break in just a few seconds now. And when we uh, come back from that break, we're going to be talking to John Lee. He's the chairman of Prophecy Platinum. And Prophecy Platinum uh, has a project in the Yukon that is definitely, without any doubt, a world-class platinum group, precious metals, base metals uh, project that has the potential to be enormously big and, I think, enormously profitable. Of course, uh, nothing is easy. Uh, this is a high-risk, high-return uh, proposition, as all uh, gold exploration and uh, mining exploration stories are. Uh, but there's a kicker to this one, too, and there's a related company that has a coal project, actually, uh, in Mongolia uh, that you can buy the stock uh, in that company and uh, really get the coal project free and own uh, the um, Prophecy Platinum. Well, John uh, Lee will be back to talk to you more about that in just a few minutes, so don't go away. We'll be right back uh, with John Lee, followed by Mikey Weinstein, and then Naomi Ariskus later in the second hour. Don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. 
Why invest in Clifton Star Resources? Because they begin the year with excellent drilling results and high goal recovery tests on the Duparquet project. A new experience management team with proven exploration and development achievements is in place. The properties have historically produced over 1.5 million ounces of gold. They are located along the prolific Porcupine Dester Break in mining-friendly Quebec, near Rouen, Noranda. A new resource estimation will be released in May. Clifton Star is only 35 million shares outstanding and is well-funded. Are you looking for a junior gold company that will give you upside exposure to major gold discovery potential, cash flow, and is located in a secure jurisdiction? Goldrich offers you a unique opportunity and controls almost the entire historic Chandelar Mining District, located in the prolific Ambler Schist Belt in Alaska. The company is applying modern-day techniques to explore the district that previously hosted four hard rock gold mines and various placer operations. Visit Goldrich on the web at www.goldrichmining.com or look us up under the ticker symbol GRMC. Prodigy Gold is transitioning from gold explorer to mine developer. We are well-funded. Located in stable eastern Canada, the Magino Gold Project has a robust production profile of 250,000 ounces a year, strong project economics with a $939 million NPV. Total gold production is projected to be over 2.6 million ounces with an estimated mine life of 11 years. Drilling is underway, and the scope of the project continues to grow. Please visit our website, www prodigygold.com and read more prodigy gold today's discovery tomorrow's future voice america business network the bottom line in business you're listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me John Lee. He's the chairman of Prophecy Platinum. Prophecy Platinum Platinum trades uh, on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol NKL, and you can buy it in the States under the symbol PNIKF. There's uh, approximately 55.5 million shares outstanding, recently trading at $2.70, giving it a market cap of around $150 million. Welcome, John, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Mm, good to be here, Jay. Um, well, for those listeners that may not have uh, heard of Prophecy Platinum before, can you just give us, I would like you to give us a little bit of an overview uh, of your company. Um, can you tell our listeners about your current 43101 resource, how many, um, how many ounces of different kinds of things and how many pounds of different kinds of things? Because your well-green property uh, is, uh, you know, is, is a property with, with all sorts of, platinum group metals and precious metals and base metals in it. Can you give our listeners uh, yes. a sense of the magnitude? It is a very, very large world-class deposit, no doubt about it. But can you tell our listeners what do you have there? Sure, well, Jay. Uh, 
prophecy, we acquired this uh, well-green property, which is situated in southwestern Yukon, very close to infrastructure in 2010 in the wake of the financial crisis when Palladium was about $250 an ounce. Uh, we've done a fair bit amount of work and uh, created the Prophecy Platinum Company in 2011. And uh, it was uh, um, the, the um, company was well received when it was listed. And we announced the 43101 compliant resource in July of 2011, just, just shy of, of a year ago. That outlined the, the, uh, the property with 11 million ounces of platinum palladium, mostly in the inferred resource category as well as uh, 2.4 billion pounds of copper and 2.4 billion pounds of nickel. Mm. So altogether, this this property very, very special, uh, given that it's platinum and palladium and it's in southwestern Yukon outside of South Africa and Russia. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, John Lee, would you consider this to be more of a um – would you consider this to be more of a, a, a platinum group com, uh, project, or is it more of a nickel? I think it has a lot of nickel, right? Was it predominantly or more nickel? Where would the, sure. the value I think, be? I got it. Uh, sure, I think, Jay, it depends very much on the, the, the month of the year. Or, I mean, it used to be very dominant uh, nickel-heavy project. That's because um, back in the 70s, Palladian aren't worth really much. But uh, as copper and PGM prices risen and nickel prices stayed fairly much steady, that the percentage of nickel has gone down from 70% to less than 50%. And then the other 50% of the in-situ values are shared uh, amongst copper and PGM. So I would say this is still very much a nickel project, but it has very heavy exposure towards PGM copper as well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, John Lee, I visited the project uh, some time ago, uh, some last summer, I guess it was, and uh, on that project, yeah. on that trip, was another uh, was an analyst of, um, uh, you know, a Canadian uh, Canadian firm, and uh, he said he really loved the project. The only question in his mind was the metallurgy. You have all those different metals that you just mentioned, and uh, yeah. the concern on the street has been the metallurgical process. You know, uh, how much of that metal can you get out? How much is it going to cost you to, for CapEx? Uh, and what kind of recoveries can you get? Do you have any sense of where you're at on that uh, on that score? Sure. I think, uh, Jay, you, you really pointed out there's, there are over two dozen analysts that paid a visit to the property in the last 12 months. The project has been fairly extensively explored in, uh, since the 1950s. And metallurgy had remained a concern throughout the time. However, technology had advanced very much. And, and it's just as well, the smelter tech, uh, smelters are, are increasingly taking lesser and lesser, uh, a concentrate of lesser and lesser uh, grade. We just published uh, the first phase of the metallurgical study um, uh, on Thursday. And they have, uh, uh, the, this phase, first phase is focusing on recovery of base metals, this is what we call the low-hanging fruits. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've um, demonstrated the ability to recover up to 88% copper, 73% nickel, and the PG recoveries in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. So altogether, as I said, I think on an in-situ value basis, we're, we're recovering close to 70% or more of the total value of the, of the, uh, of the, of the minerals, mm-hmm. which is very, very encouraging for us. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind also that given the complexity of of the uh, mineralization, there's still, we believe, a lot of room for improvement. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, it is a very, very encouraging sign. Could you give our listeners some sense of uh, when you say 70% of the minerals, uh, you know, because there's a lot of different ones, just a ballpark estimate yes. of what the dollar value would be at current prices, more or less? The dollar value. Well, Jay, I looked at 
I, I love to do that if our stock is not listed on the Toronto Tech Stock Exchange. Uh-huh. <laughs> but unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, by the 43101 rule, we cannot really talk much about uh, what they call the in-situ gross value okay. because that's somewhat misleading to shift to investors. But I would say that as a, as a whole, um, if, if, if investors were to punch in their calculator and calculate our uh, total total value per ton of rock in the ground, mm-hmm. uh, we're roughly estimating recovering at this point a very early phase up to 70 around 70% of the total uh, minerals that, that's yeah. uh, coming out of the ground, which is very, very high. Mm-hmm. As, as um, I think just the nickel and copper and PGM grades considered on a separate basis are, are making some money already economic today, and we have all three of those metals um, in, the same pro- in the same project. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly people can get their calculators out, as you say, and, and, and look at the current <laughs> prices for those metals and look at the recoveries you exactly. talked about and do their own mathematics, uh, even if the... Uh, and Jay, the grade, exactly, and the grade, if I can remind, is again 300 million tons at 0.35 copper, 0.35 nickel, and just over one gram of, of PGM. Okay. And recently, as well as well known, uh, IMGO just acquired a gold project for over $500 million in Ontario with just gold over one gram and no byproducts at all. Yeah, well, that's that uh, may give listeners some sense of what uh, what the blue sky is here on this, and it's really a very very spectacular property. Obviously, 300 million tons, and I know that you also have a lot of exploration potential there as well, don't you? Well, for sure, Jay. The drill has been ongoing since February underground, but uh, from the end of May, in just about three weeks' time, we're going to be to be locating up to four rigs on site. Um, it's going to be a, combina- a program combination of infill drilling as well as exploration drilling. Mm-hmm. The current existing resource boundaries is only two kilometers, and we've identified several kilometers of soil anomalies and VTN anomalies. Mm-hmm. Um, the program is headed by Larry Holbert, which is authority in the PGM space and worked for Geological Bureau of Canada for over two decades. Um, and uh, he is assisting us in locating uh, a lot of the targets which are drill-ready. So we'll be looking at very, very exciting drill season um, uh, going on 2012, as well as continued metallurgical studies with the results, uh, which will be released when they become available. Sure. Well, you've recently agreed to merge uh, with URSA Major Minerals. Uh, could you explain the logic behind that uh, merger? Sure. I think, Jay, the, the prophecy which I founded um, was really on the premise of acquiring uh, public listed projects that are trading below uh, their net asset value mm-hmm. because of a variety of reasons, mostly macroeconomic. Mm-hmm. And as you know, there's been a recent slowdown in the junior resource sector. We took the opportunity and identified Ursa Major, which is a producer of PGM and nickel and copper in Ontario, which is a safe jurisdiction. Um, it amounts to over uh, the whole transaction amounts to just under six percent dilution. It's an all share transaction, so the downside for prophecy platinum is really very much much limited, but the upside could be could be quite significant um, as it is it is a mining even though it's used contract mining, but with a bit of capital expenditure, uh, the mine could be producing significant fairly significant or a, a sort of mid sized company of copper, nickel, and, and PGM. So we felt like it's highly levered to the PGM, nickel, and, and copper prices. It's fully permitted, and um, we believe we got a fairly good deal. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back to the Yukon, um, you, you mentioned uh, infrastructure. Your infrastructure is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good, I guess, for a place as remote as that. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? 
Also, what about power? Sure. Well, Jay, as you were on the property, I believe that we're really very, very blessed of, of, uh, to have acquired this project. It's merely the project in southwestern Yukon. We are going merely 15 kilometers from the Alaska Highway, and that's paved. And the highway leads all the way to the Haines Deep Seaport, which is merely 350 kilometers away. And the project is at very low altitude, about 1,300 300 meters, about 4,000 feet in altitude. A very gentle slope, which uh, could potentially be enable to open pit mining. So it really has all the ingredients um, of, of, a, of a project that could be mined. Uh, with regard to power, um, Yukon is an emerging mining uh, district, and there is a currently lack of power. But Yukon government has been very vocal in support of the mining activities in the province and looking into uh, are looking actively into importing natural gas and and, and either pipelines or creating um, power plants or that are power powered by natural gas. I mean, eventually, nonetheless, if all resorts to nothing, we can still rely on um, the 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 uh, the diesel um, uh, diesel to mine. Given that we're also close to port, so so diesel availability should not be an issue. Sure. No, that's a, a very 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 good point. Uh, well, do you, uh, do you have a time schedule for progressing the Well Green property, John Lee? And and um, are you planning a, a feasibility study anytime soon? Sure, Jay. I think the very first stage of the project, as we hear from our shareholders and analysts and potential investors, is metallurgy. So we've uh, announced this preliminary results, which are highly encouraging and prospective. And the next stage is to plug these numbers into a preliminary economic assessment study, which is being prepared, and we should be looking at releasing that report within about 30 days, early June. Oh, and good. following that, the drill program is ongoing, and we'll incorporate the drill program and the, the continued met results into a pre-feasibility study. Uh, that should be commissioned towards the end of the year and be released early next year. And after that, we're looking at another year of extensive drilling, both infield exploration, and um, and then looking at a feasibility study sometime the end of next year, and uh, hopefully then uh, adding to um, the permitting process, which should take two years, and Construction of uh, construction of the project probably about three years away. Hmm. Not uh, not too bad as as these things go. What about permitting in the Yukon? Relatively easy. You mentioned there. I, I guess the uh, the province is very very amenable to mining. They're they're very interested in in developing wealth that way. So, I, the permitting process uh, relatively easy, uh, accommodating, or how how is it? Sure. I think, Jay, at this point, we don't really see any major obstacles of commission this uh, mine into production. Obviously, uh, it will be pending on the feasibility and economics. We have fairly good metallurgy of, of the get-go. And um, in terms of permitting, we're in close uh, consultation with aboriginals, First Nations, and they're very supportive of this project. They're highly educated. We've been in dialogue with the Yukon government, and we started already the baseline environmental studies and water studies. Um, and Yukon is one of the very few jurisdictions, and it's been run by Fraser Institute as the, as the top 15 places to do mining activities in the world. They have a very transparent and documented process. And so um, get back to people in t- uh, on time on specific concerns that they may have. So I would say the steps are very trans- transparent and documented. Um, it might take longer than some other jurisdictions, but what, what we get is eliminate, eliminating the, the geopolitical uncertainties. So mm-hmm. we're, we're at this point very confident and comfortable with the, with the, uh, with the potential permitting of, of, of Well Green. 
You uh, you noted that it's been a rough time for the junior market, uh, but you've managed oh, yeah. to do pretty well on keeping your share price up, much better than many of them. You've only got 55.0 million shares outstanding, as we noted a moment ago. Um, who who are some of your major shareholders? I know Prophecy Coal, which I want to ask you about if we can have a minute or two on that, but I believe Prophecy Coal is a major shareholder. Who are some of the other major shareholders, uh, and what percentage does management own of this company? Sure, Jay. We're very, very blessed. You're right. We've we've sort of gone through this this crisis fairly fairly intact. We have a, we're very blessed. A very loyal set of shareholders. Um, that includes Sprott as a management that holds around 13% of the company. Prophecy Coal, which is the parent company that spun off Prophecy Platinum, owns approximately 40%. The management owns close to 10%. So therefore, you're looking at around less than 30% of the shares that are floating in the market. Um, and we believe that several funds institutions in Toronto and New York also own substantial stake. So therefore, you're looking at a situation with a very loyal shareholder and a wonderful, wonderful project which we can advance and base, base out of for Prophecy Platinum. Yeah, well, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but if uh, I'd like to ask you to talk just a moment about Prophecy Coal, which, uh, as you mentioned, owns a 40% of your company. Prophecy Coal is an interesting story in its own right, and it's a company that I've uh, mentioned in my newsletter cover from time to time. What can you tell our listeners about Prophecy Coal? Just just give that story, if you would, please, just to our listeners so they can so they can maybe start tracking that. Sure. <laughs> Prophecy Coal, we're listed on the Toronto main board. Uh, ticker symbol is PCY. Its main assets are two thermal projects in Mongolia, totaling 1.4 billion tons. And uh, we are um, complete. We have just completed the, the permitting process to construct a thermal coal mine mouth power plant. So we're not looking to sell coal. Instead, we're looking to sell power. And we are actively discussing uh, and negotiating a power purchase agreement, which would be 20 to 30 year agreement um, for the government to buy power from us. Mm. Um, there has been a bit of uh, recent turmoil in Mongolia with the coming election. And uh, just to uh, share with the listeners that the market cap of Prophecy Coal today, which is around $70, $65 million, could, al- could almost be entirely contributed to its uh, equity, 40% equity holdings of uh, Prophecy Platinum. Mm. So therefore, for, for shareholders who like coal, uh, by buying Prophecy Coal, uh, you're almost getting the coal for free with its uh, holdings in Platinum. So it's a fairly special situation at this point. Very interesting. Uh, could you tell our listeners what the symbol is for uh, Prophecy Coal in the Toronto? Sure, it's PC White, uh, Prophecy. <laughs> prophecy Charlie Angelo. <laughs> okay, that, that works well. It should be one easy to, easy to remember, John Lee. Is there anything else, uh, anything else you'd like to tell our listeners before we conclude our discussion today? Well, I think, uh, Jay, the management, for most is management, uh, as with any other resource, junior resource companies, and the management, uh, own a substantial shareholding of both companies. I've had about a decade of experience investing in a junior sector, so I came from a shareholder's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've also enlisted a lot of uh, quality uh, geologists and uh, finance professionals in, in Canada. Um, I would just say we're a very active company, and uh, be sure to put us on your ticker uh, ticker list and uh, follow us and uh, email me or email our crew from time to time if you have any questions. Oh, that's that's fantastic advice. Thank you uh, very much, John Lee. It is a very interesting story, for sure, a very unusual story, and then and, and uh, maybe one of the backdoor ways to get this company and get it 
very inexpensively uh, is through Prophecy Coal. It's uh, one people should also give a thought to. I want to thank you very much, John Lee, for coming on and sharing uh, your story with our listeners. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back after the commercial break with Mikey Weinstein of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arrowway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arrowway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arrowway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Why invest in Clifton Star Resources? Because they begin the year with excellent drilling results and high goal recovery tests on the Duparquet project. A new experience management team with proven exploration and development achievements is in place. The properties have historically produced over 1.5 million ounces of gold. They are located along the prolific Porcupine Dester Break in mining-friendly Quebec, near Rouen, Noranda. A new resource estimation will be released in May. Clifton Star is only 35 million shares outstanding and is well-funded. Are you looking for a junior gold company that will give you upside exposure to major gold discovery potential, cash flow, and is located in a secure jurisdiction? Goldrich offers you a unique opportunity and controls almost the entire historic Chandelar Mining District, located in the prolific Ambler Schist Belt in Alaska. The company is applying modern-day techniques to explore the district that previously hosted four hard rock gold mines and various placer operations. Visit Goldrich on the web at www.goldrichmining.com or look us up under the ticker symbol GRMC. Prodigy Gold is transitioning from gold explorer to mine developer. We are well-funded. Located in stable eastern Canada, the Magino Gold Project has a robust production profile of 250,000 ounces a year. Strong project economics with a $939 million NPV. Total gold production is projected to be over 2.6 million ounces with an estimated mine life of 11 years. Drilling is underway and the scope of the project continues to grow. Please visit our website, www.prodigygold.com. ProdigyGold.com and read more. Prodigy Gold, today's discovery, tomorrow's future. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased and very excited to have with me Mikey Weinstein, 
He is the founder and president uh, of the four-time Nobel Peace Prize nominated civil rights organization known as the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, and he is the author of a book called With God on Our Side, One Man's War Against an Evangelical Coup in America's Military. Um, and he is also the author of another book, uh, a recent um, a recent book called No Snowflake in an Avalanche, and we're going to ask him about that book as well. Um, if I were to read Mikey's wine, uh, entire biography, it would take the entire show. So what I do strongly encourage you to do is to go to uh, a website that he uh, that he that is really informative and will tell you about what he does and his background. It's uh, www.militaryreligiousfreedom.org. If you go there, you'll get a sense of this man's talents and accomplishments over the years. And if you do that, you will see why I am so honored to have him with me on the show. Welcome, Mikey, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thanks, Jason. Nice to be here. Really good to have you here. Uh, you are. I failed to tell our listeners that uh, you are also a graduate of the U.S. Uh, Air Force Academy, uh, former White House Counsel uh, in the Reagan administration, and also former uh, General Counsel to Texas Billionaire and two-time presidential candidate uh, Ross Perot uh, and Perot Systems Corporation. So. I just had to add that in. There is much, much more. So, folks, go to Military Religious Freedom to learn more about Mikey Weinstein and about his excellent work. Um, you know, we're here to, to ask you about your organization, um, militaryreligiousfreedom.org. Um, to what extent, uh, it, it seems to me that most people would doubt that there's an issue here. Most people believe that um, the military, after all, fights wars, in part to protect that right, the right to religious freedom. And yet, uh, I take it there's some issues, uh, some serious issues within the military. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Tell us about what sure. some of the issues yeah. are and, and why you've formed your organization. It's really, uh, we, we kind of abandoned using the term, interestingly enough, issues, problem, or challenge a number of years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. we, uh, we, ref we really re are referring to, um, can be described in one sentence. We have a fanatical religiosity, Jay, and everyone who's following on the show. It's not Wahhabist, you know, fundamentalist Islam, mo mostly Sunni, but to some extent Shia as well. Mm -hmm. It's something known as fundamentalist dominionist or dominion Christianity. Mm. Um, it's mixed in with... Uh, uh, you know, actual weapons of mass destruction. Hmm. We have them. The other side doesn't yet. Mm -hmm. um, further mixed in with a, a poisonous, tortured version of so-called patriotism. And mm -hmm. further mixed in with um, complete unfettered access, you know, due to this draconian specter of military command influence. Mm -hmm. uh, further mixed in with a total dearth of any restraint, oversight, or supervision. And what you have is a metastasizing national security threat to this country mm -hmm. internally every bit as much as what we're facing uh, by a still vibrant al-qaeda uh the taliban uh the mujahideen the insurrectionists mm -hmm. the jihadists and the terrorists mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about the american christian taliban running rampant through our u.s military mm -hmm. and again if you go to the website you know i mean you know, there were 300 spartans at the battle battle of thermopylae give me one second first spartan per Spartan. That's 300 seconds or five minutes, and just go to www.militaryreligiousfreedom.org. Um, you know, Jay, you mentioned the new book. I just got off the book tour a few weeks mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. The new book is called No Snowflake in an Avalanche, and it mm -hmm. comes from the uh, famous Voltaire quote, no snowflake in an avalanche ever feels responsible. 
Mm. Uh, of course, it's available at uh, Barnes & Noble and at Amazon. The fastest and best way, uh, if anyone is so inclined to want to help the foundation, is just to go to that same website, militaryreligiousfreedom.org, and you'll see right on the homepage where you can you can purchase it. Um, mm-hmm. The book is uh, uh, my co-author, uh, Devin C., uh, co-authored with Snoop Dogg and with other uh, luminaries. As mm. I also wrote my first book with him. And mm-hmm. the, uh, the book is meant to be kind of a primal scream to get people to wake up in this mm-hmm. kind of Homer and Marge Simpson America to realize that it's not like I don't care about the economy. I don't care about the um, the starvation and violence in Darfur or that I don't care about the, you know, the... Uh, runaway AIDS crisis in sub-Saharan Africa or the whales or global warming. I do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter if our U.S. military, um, um, you know, has turned into a the, the tenth version of the nine prior crusades. Mm-hmm. I, um, the Washington Post has uh, given me a great opportunity. I get to write two columns a month for them, and um, I've got another one coming out possibly as early as today. I'm not sure if it's going to be with the Post or with another outlet talking about how our military looks exactly like, you know, fundamentalist Christian crusaders, because that's how they are. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is. Not everyone in the military is like that. I mean, mm-hmm. um, but remember, you know, Jay, uh, statistically, Hitler only had 7.9% in his National Socialist Movement, and um, Stalin had 2.8%. You know, so uh, we think somewhere between 28 to 32% of our U.S. military um, are these fundamentalists or dominionist Christians, and they're separated. You, just so you know, we, we currently represent 27,512 active, that's as of an hour ago. We get hundreds more each month. Active duty United States Marines, Jay, uh, sailor, mm-hmm. soldiers, airmen, uh, cadet mm-hmm. midshipmen at Annapolis West Point in the Air Force Academy, mm-hmm. uh, National Guard, Reserve, Coast Guard, and veterans. And here's the shocking thing. I hope your listeners, and you too, Jay, have your uh, your seatbelts snugly on. Mm-hmm. Uh, 96% of our clients are practicing Protestants and Roman Catholics mm-hmm. being told and oppressed for not being, quote, Christian enough. That is incredible. That is incredible. And honestly, uh, Mikey, you know, uh, I was brought up as a Christian. I'm uh, a Lutheran now brought up as a Mennonite, a pacifist, no less. But um, I find it very difficult. And, and there are you know, people that have, have run for president, I think, in the Republican Party, who probably are the champions of some of these people. But it seems to me anti-Christ, anti-Christian, this attitude of kill a commie for Christ in my day during the Vietnam uh, era, or now kill a Muslim for Christ, is so anti-Christian. It's so much against what Jesus taught, or at least what I believe he taught, and 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 yet it seems to be such a such an important part. I mean, I can't understand this this need to want to go out and constantly uh, engage in in this sort of hatred. Now, I'm wondering, you know, President Eisenhower warned us about the military-industrial complex. Yes, and we seem to have to have. There is a lot of money made with war, and it seems to me that we need to have an enemy. Is this part of what's going on here? Is there a need? I mean, and where is it coming from? Is it coming from the highest levels, uh, or is it just some poisonous thing that we have in our culture that um, that, that causes us? I mean, I, it, it isn't anything that I've been taught in my Christian background, uh, ex- except that I do know that, you know, as a Lutheran, I'm cognizant of the fact that it was the Catholics and the Lutherans that were very supportive of Hitler during World War II. So where is this coming from? Why is this? Why do we have this need? I mean, why why is this happening? Well, I've done thousands of interviews. You're the first journalist ever mentioned the thing I always talk about, which is 
Eisenhower's farewell speech. So congratulations. Mm-hmm. Never, usually I have, to, I have to sit there and ask the people, hey, do you mm-hmm. remember the, the most famous speech that Eisenhower ever gave was his farewell speech where he warned America and the world mm-hmm. about the military-industrial complex. What we're talking about on your show today is so enormous, so powerful, that uh, several years ago we, we started referring to it as a fundamentalist Christian parachurch military corporate congressional proselytizing complex. Mm. So to answer your question, it is, you know, it goes, um, Obama is not a fundamentalist Christian. No. But remember, remember the whole concept of no snowflake in an avalanche. I happen to be a registered Republican. I also mm-hmm. happen to be one that voted for Clinton twice, Gore, Kerry, and Obama. You know, <laughs> but I look at... Um, Statements made about the separation of church and state being bedrock law, you know, mm-hmm. in this country, uh, that were made, uh, you know, with kind of grainy-looking black and white uh, uh, video of both JFK and Goldwater, and I can assure you that Goldwater will be turning over his grave. One of the last things he did before he left public public life was to warn about uh, how his party, the Republican Party, was being taken over by these religious zealots. I, mm-hmm. I was in the White House for over three years, from you know mid mid Reagan one to mid Reagan two, and. Um, I think it was Kierkegaard, Jay, who said that, you know, we live our lives forward, but we understand them backwards. I look back now and I could see this thing coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is, it is um, uh, just so your listeners understand, Jay, do you have a pen or a pencil anywhere near you right now? I sure do. Would you please hold it six inches over your desk or your table? I'm, the, I'm doing and it. And drop it. Would you drop it? Mm-hmm. Okay. I hope everyone heard it drop. Why did it drop, Jay? Gravity, I suppose. Yes. That is, and that is exactly how omnipresent, ubiquitous, and systemic dominion or fundamentalist Christianity is throughout the entirety of the United States military. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is absolutely unbelievable. As I said before, you, you, it's almost, you almost can't believe it unless you're complicit. It's beyond the scope of this show to go through the, you know, the, 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 the dozens of thousands of cases we have, which is why I wrote the book again. And anyone who's listening, you know, I know you're, you're listening. You're going, well, gee, we have, I have a thousand things to do today. Mm-hmm. Think one of them going to militaryreligiousfreedom.org, mm-hmm. www.militaryreligiousfreedom.org. Buy the book, No Snowflake in an Avalanche. And we have to, you know, wake up here in this country. You know, we cannot be continually do- docile and supine. Um, the people that have uh, uh, blurbed my book include... Uh, Mike Farrell from the TV show MASH, who's a dear friend on my advisory board, Ed Asner. Now, they're generally viewed as liberals, but Jack Rives isn't a liberal. Jack was the, uh, the, the three-star general in charge of the, all lawyers in the U.S. Air Force from 2006 to 2010. He currently runs you know, a small organization called the American Bar Association. Another non-liberal, Dick Schlossberg, the uh, celebrated former CEO and publisher of the L.A. Times and Denver Post, uh, uh, who you know is also uh, is, is, a, is on my you know advisory board. We have uh, former governors. We have ambassadors. Uh, um, uh, you may remember Ambassador Joe Wilson and his uh, arguably more famous wife Valerie Plain Wilson. You know the sure. agent that was out at absolutely both very dear friends. Joe's on my board. So we have some. Uh, we have very very. I mean the the, the evidence is um, incontrovertible. I, I think it was Gandhi Jay, and you'll probably mm-hmm. remember this, who talked about the four phases of civil rights fighting, because I'm not a civil rights gadfly or an activist. I mean, we are fighters. We have the gun smoke mm-hmm. in, in our faces as we're speaking to you this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, the four phases, you know, first they ignore you, then they ridicule you, then they fight you, then you win. So, you know, we're well past ignore and ridicule. We're into fighting and winning, mm-hmm. and something has to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's bad enough to have out-of-control uh, dominion or fundamentalist Christianity rampant in our public schools, uh, the... Uh, um, sanit- you know, sanitation workers, firefighters, cops, legislatures, but at least they don't have access to, you know, to nuclear 
um, conventional and laser-guided weapons. Uh, and I think you're right when you talk about how we need to have an enemy. And the concept of uh, the president being a Muslim, mm-hmm. the concept that, uh, that all Muslims are all bad all the time, <laughs> and actually last Tuesday, um, well, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, on April 24th, America's top soldier, uh, Major General Martin, I'm sorry, General, four-star General Martin Dempsey, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, actually had to take the unprecedented move of issuing a directive throughout the entire Department of Defense, having them cleanse any of their educational training programs that were clearly anti-Islamic or, you know, or Islamophobic or anti mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Just so you also know, our foundation represents a little bit over 10% of every Islamic American, Muslim American, currently, you know, wearing the uniform of the U.S. Marine Corps, Navy, mm-hmm. Marine Air Force, or a cadet or a midshipman. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, if you look back, Jay, at human history, whenever we try to, try to um, again, uh, paint one group of people with one brush, mm-hmm. well, we end up, first of all, not with little, you know, creeks or lakes or streams or rivers, but with oceans and oceans of blood, because that's called bigotry and prejudice. Mm-hmm. And, it, and at least in this country, you know, Israel doesn't have a constitution, but we do. And one mm-hmm. of the most important things that this constitution did was to make sure that we separated church and state. It, you know, it, it's, it's right there. You know, in those 16 golden words in the First Amendment, the Congress mm-hmm. shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's we need to abide by law as interpreted by our court system um, because that's how we live here. We're supposed to we're not supposed to determine the worth of somebody by whether they're a good Lutheran like you are mm-hmm. or a good Jewish person like I am or whether or not they're an atheist like. Uh, Pat Tillman, you know, who was, uh, who was killed by friendly fire, mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, we, we don't do that in this country. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. that, that's what's gotten us into the situation of um, extraordinary danger. Not an issue, not a problem, not a challenge. It's an internal national security threat. Mm-hmm. It just seems to me to be such a disconnect between what um, what the Christian religion is supposed to represent. Well, let me tell you something. I, I was going to mention that before. Here's the problem. The, the Christians we're talking about cherry-pick. Mm-hmm. And they, for instance, um, I'm not familiar. If you're, I don't know whether or not you're familiar with Luke 1927. It's easy to remember if you're a baseball fan because 1927 mm-hmm. was one of the best years <laughs> for the New York Yankees. Yes. Luke chapter 19, verse 27 is called the parable of the pounds, like LDS pounds. Uh, yes. In there, Jesus is, is talking about a parable. But as interpreted by fundamentalist Dominion Christians, and I advise you all to Google it while you're listening. Sure. Uh, in the military. This is their view. Jesus uh, says to his followers, go out among the people and bring back before me Jesus. Anyone that will not, uh, you know, will accept me, Jesus, as king over them. Mm-hmm. And then slaughter them in front of me. Mm. Were you aware that was in the uh, New Testament? No, I, I don't well, it's recall there. that. Mm-hmm. It's there. Now, of mm-hmm. course, Jesus often spoke in parables. I mean, you know, whether there's an actual historic Jesus or it was all real, it doesn't make a difference. The fact is, even Jefferson, you know, wrote the famous Jeffersonian Bible, taking out all the miracles, just leaving the essence about how we all get along with each other. It's very mm-hmm. Rodney King-esque. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, mainline Protestants, Roman Catholics, would look at that and say, he, he's talking about a parable, but not the fundamentalist dominionists. So many of our clients have been told that um, that, you know, our job is to bring you before Jesus, and if you won't, you know, I mean, if you won't accept him as king, you know, Jesus will slaughter you. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, it, this, these are the issues that we're dealing with. And that's mm-hmm. why we use the term fundamentalist Christian Taliban. Now, they don't like the fact that we, mm-hmm. we have about 90 people in our foundation. A good number of them are full-time volunteers, just like the ACLU, I think, has a core staff of about 1,000 nationally, but have many times that, that people that are full-time volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we've had the windows shot out of our house twice. We've had mm. animals, innocent animals slaughtered and put on the front porch of the house. Mm. We've had swastikas and crucifixes painted on the house, mm. beer bottles and feces thrown at the house. Um, yeah. Tires slashed. We have, we're, you know, we all have to carry weapons in my family. We, uh, we have uh, uh, our private security wherever we go. Mm. Uh, uh, and, um, you know, look, true, uh, speaking truth to power is hard. The average American doesn't want to sit there and tell someone to shut up right if they're mm-hmm. talking in a movie theater. Imagine if you're a subordinate to a superior in the military and you're trying to, you're even being gently evangelized, you know, get the hell out of my face, sir. Mm-hmm. You know, Jay is not an option for you, so they come to us. And, you know, we also need to remember something on this show right now, that Mm -hmm. the the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights, uh, it was not passed for the convenience of the majority at the time, Protestant Mm -hmm. white males, probably Mm -hmm. like you. It was passed to prevent the tyranny of the the expected tyranny of the majority over, you know, uh, over the minority. And... um, yeah. Was, in other words, it was, it was passed to prevent the tyranny uh, from uh, from hurting the uh, uh, the minority. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that when you do speak truth to power, oftentimes you see the tyranny of the majority morph into the tantrum of the majority. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we're here to fight. Yeah. There, there's no doubt about that. And I can say, as a person who was brought up as a Mennonite, I appreciated, you know, a subculture, if you will, of this country. I appreciated that protection of the minority and this is i think one of the things that really separates us from totalitarian governments or has in the past up until now at least because you know it's the ends justifies the means or the notion that the individual must submit for the good of the state rather than the individual being important and having those liberties of 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 um, uh, worshiping or not you know so fundamental it seems to the individual to, to what our yeah. country has stood for in the past and what I think most, well, at least I always believed our military was supposed to be about, even though I was brought up as a pacifist, I thought that, that uh, the, you know, the people I knew that went off to serve their country were doing it because they believed they were fighting for the Constitution. Um, are we endangered in other areas, do you think? And we only have a couple of minutes left before you, you need to leave and go to, a, to your next meeting. But do you believe that, that this Constitution uh, is in trouble on this, uh, on, on this basis of religious freedom? Do you think there are other areas where we also need to be aware of problems? Um, I, I, you know, it, I'm so fa- uh, so saturated on uh, on this one, obviously on <laughs> yeah on what we're doing here because I, there's just um, you know it, it's terrifying uh, once we see what's happening and, and how it's moving and and what and what uh, you know, the people we're fighting literally want to use our nuclear weapons to blow the world up because that will serve as an accelerant and lubricant Jay to bring mm-hmm. their version of weaponized Jesus back. If you're a fundamentalist or dominionist Christian, it is not uncommon to hear the following metrics: you are promised a 200 mile long river. It's a long river, right? Mm-hmm. Four and a half feet deep, filled with nothing but the human blood of those that your version of Jesus is slaughtered at the Battle of Armageddon. And after talking about these metrics, about that river, oftentimes uh, they'll put their hands to the sky in their worship services saying, therefore, uh, you know, fellow Christian uh, you know, brothers and sisters, rejoice, rejoice, for the worst is yet to come. So it's, yeah. it's hard to look at other areas. Uh, yeah. There are a plethora of them. But um, we are the only organization, the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, again, for your audience, www.militaryreligiousfreedom.org. Give me 300 seconds and look at that. Or, and buy the book, No Snowflake in an Avalanche. Tell me what you think there. There's pictures in the book. Take a look at this. See what's there. And, um, you know, we're, we, um, we have to be better than worrying about, you know, uh, our two weeks or one, or one or two weeks of paid vacation a year. Yeah. We work for a boss we don't like, and we try to fund our 401K so that when we retire, we can live in some degree of comfort until we naturally die. We're supposed to be better than that. 
And um, we do, we're not supposed to have a government that uh, controls every aspect of us. We do not have, I mean, there are people who are fighting that want to put in a CAA, a Christian America amendment, amendment right. in the Constitution. Right. And that was specifically, you know, our founding fathers assiduously fought against that. They looked at European history, Jay, where most of the horrors had occurred when men of the cloth had been men of political mm-hmm. power. They looked at Cromwell in England. They looked at the Salem Witch Trials, and they said, mm-hmm. not here. Right, exactly. Well, I, I really, uh, really admire what you're doing, and I hope that our listeners will take that short period of time required to go and check out militaryreligiousfreedom.org. It is a, it is a website. I just started to look at it. There's a huge amount of information there, and I would gather, uh, Mikey, that, um, uh, that you're, um, that you, that you're weekly, or I guess you write, you said for the Washington Post, was it, or the, yeah, so what, well, we um, I have a couple of columns a month in the Washington Post, and then uh, sometimes uh, also go out in truthout.org, which you may know is a huge organization. Mm-hmm. Likely we'll be having another um, another one of my op-eds will hit a little bit later today in Truthout, where I'm going to talk about that, you know, basically the uh, the um, um, our American military looks like a crusading force. And, I mean, we've had generals that have ordered counterinsurgencies against our clients. You wow. know, and my family is... Uh, Basically, you know, I mean, half my family is Christian, half is Jewish. We have mm-hmm. three consecutive generations of military academy graduates. My two mm-hmm. sons, my son-in-law, uh, my um, uh, daughter-in-law all graduated from the Air Force Academy. My dad mm-hmm. graduated from Annapolis. Uh, my nephew just got back a few months ago from his fourth combat tour as a U.S. Marine Corps gunnery sergeant <laughs> in Afghanistan. You know, and we have in, in my immediate family uh, over 130 years of combined active duty military service and mm. pretty much every major combat engagement that our country has been in from World War I to this current so-called global war on terror. So I mm-hmm. think we kind of know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, it is, it is remarkable, and your work, and, and what I was getting at is what you write, uh, people can access at militaryreligiousfreedom.org? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the uh, you'll see text, audio, visual that you want. I mean, you know, there's videos uh, shot of military installations where people are saying our goal is for everybody in the military to become a, quote, government-paid missionary mm-hmm. for Jesus that's- Christ. That's, that's remember, incredible. most of our staff, most of our donors, most of our clients are Protestants and Roman Catholics. Only 4% of our clients are not Christians. So, uh, you know, uh, Houston, we don't have a problem. We have a national security threat. Yeah, indeed. Inside out, and I think it was uh, General Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, who also warned about the threat of uh, of our of our demise from the inside out, and he was also warning about the military-industrial complex. I wish we had more time, Mikey. This has been delightful. Thank you so much for serving your country this way, uh, and uh, I hope our listeners will, will really check out your work, and I want to follow up with your new book and perhaps comment about that sometime on this show. Thank you very hey, much yes, for being here. Um, that sounds terrific. You know how to contact my folks, and uh, when the, um, are, we, are we still taping, or do you want to? Yeah, we're, yes, we are. Uh, okay. Go ahead. Well, yeah, cool. so, we'll, well, we'll follow up, definitely, uh, Mikey. We'll follow up. Make sure you send us a link when this show's about to go because we'll make sure everybody gets it, sees we'll we, blast it around the world. We certainly will. We certainly will. Thank you so much, uh, Mikey. I really thank you for being on our show, and we'll look to have you back again sometime soon. Folks, right, don't right. go away. We're going to be right back with our next guest. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. 
Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Why invest in Clifton Star Resources? Because they begin the year with excellent drilling results and high goal recovery tests on the DuParquet project. A new experience management team with proven exploration and development achievements is in place. The properties have historically produced over 1.5 million ounces of gold. They are located along the prolific Porcupine Dester Break in mining-friendly Quebec, near Rouen, Naranda. A new resource estimation will be released in May. Clifton Star is only 35 million shares outstanding and is well-funded. 